Go ahead and pull out your own Bible while I pull out mine. Pull out something to take notes with this morning. Was anybody here at church last week? That was awesome. Last week, I've had so many people talking to me throughout the week. It doesn't always happen. People call me, they're like, hey, what? Sunday was crazy. God was like doing stuff. And I'm like, I know, that was cool. Some, one person even made a comment to me about that on Thursday. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Open up to Isaiah 54. And uh, Isaiah 54, sort of towards the middle. And then we're also going to be in Mark chapter 8 a little bit later. So we're going to double up this morning. Does that sound good? I'm excited about this message because we're talking about the Bible, and I think that's a good thing. We are going to be in Isaiah 54, Mark chapter 8 as well. We're going to continue our series this morning, A Church Like Home. Has anybody been enjoying it? I've really, really been enjoying it. And uh, yeah, last week was really fun. In Isaiah 54, we're going to read a couple of verses here. We're going to jump right in. And we're going to read a few verses here that if you have been around our church, been part of our church for a little while, these verses are not going to be uh, strange to you. We talk about these uh, somewhat regularly, mention them for different reasons um, in different times, and we've uh, preached out of them before. So they may, they may not be, be new for you. It's a familiar passage for us as a church. If it is new for you, welcome to the family. Isaiah 54, this is a big one for us, and there's a long story behind that that we don't have to go into, so let's just read it. How's that sound? Is your neighbor at Isaiah 54? Ooh, got some accountability going on. Give an elbow, sharp elbow. Isaiah 54. God's speaking to his people through a prophet named Isaiah, and uh, he's using some imagery to kind of get his point across. So these verses may come across a little bit metaphorical because they kind of are. Verse number one, sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. Praise God, we got a lot of people going in labor soon or recently or whatever around here. Talk about another familiar topic. (laughs) For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Everybody say, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. Your offspring will possess the nations. You will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth, he is called. <laughs> this is, sounds like a Pentecostal verse, if you ask me. <laughs> the God of the whole earth is he called. I love it. Isaiah 54, 1 through 5, we just read. I want to tell you our title for our message this morning as we go into part 5 of A Church Like Home. I hope you have your notes out. We're taking it right out of verse 2. You've already said it this morning right at the top of your notes. Do not hold back. Touch your neighbor and tell them, don't hold back. Do not hold back. Isaiah 54 is a prophetic passage where the Lord is speaking to Isaiah. He's speaking to the one man, Isaiah, so that he can speak to all of his people. That's kind of how the Old Testament worked. God would speak to a prophet on behalf of the people, and he's talking to the nation of Israel. And at the time, um, or it was for the, the people of Israel, but today it's for us, because how many know we are the people of God? Newsflash, if you didn't know, 
We're the people of God. So that's why, it's, that's why the Old Testament is still relevant for us. That's why Israel is important because we get lumped into the people of God. So a little Bible reading tip there. That was helpful for me when I learned that, right? So God is speaking to the nation of Israel in Isaiah 54, and he's speaking to us this morning. And his message is a promise. He's giving this promise to his people of expansion. He's giving a promise of growth, a promise of increase. And the growth and the increase that he's talking about is going to come from his power, not the ability of the people that he's talking about. He's talking about things need to get bigger around here, and I'm the one that's going to do it, um, not you, because you can't. You can't do it. And as demonstrated by his use of metaphor here in Isaiah 54, uh, he's using the metaphor of a barren woman to represent his people. And how many of you know that at times, when God speaks a promise to you, it doesn't make sense? I've been there. I feel like I live there a lot, honestly. When God speaks a promise, it, sometimes it sounds awesome, but when you put it into context, it kind of sounds crazy. That's kind of seems a regular bit of the promises of God. When you hear somebody else's promise, you think that's awesome. When you hear your own, you think that's crazy. You need a bigger house, God's saying to this barren woman in Isaiah 54. We need to push back the walls. We got to raise the ceilings, expand the roof. We need to make things a little bit bigger around here. I know that it's just you. I know that you don't have kids. And not only do you not have kids, but you can't have kids, but we got to push back the walls. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your pegs, expand your tent. The children of the desolate one are going to be greater than the one who's married. You need a bigger house. You need a bigger house. You're going to have kids. You're going to have lots of kids. They're going to be amazing kids. They're going to be rulers. They're going to have influence. They're going to fill desolate cities. I mean, there's going to be a lot of kids, but you have no kids, but you're going to need a bigger house. You're going to need a bigger house. One of the things that I am praying for us as a church as we go through this series, a church like home, I'm praying that each one of us individually and that us together, and even, even for those of us who, who come for maybe one week of this series and end up somewhere else, I just pray that we get a, just a, a little bit bigger taste of God's crazy, big, outrageous plan and vision for his church. I'm just praying that God put it, put it in us just a little deeper, that this isn't just a fun little routine, but that actually God wants to do a lot with us. And the reason that I think that we can read Isaiah 54, we can talk about the fact that God has a promise for his church and it involves expanding his kingdom throughout the whole world so that everybody has a chance to know him, so that everybody has a chance to be forgiven of their sins, so that everybody has a chance to be made completely new, be filled with the Holy Spirit, to know their God the way they were made for. I think we can hear all that and say, yeah, that's a vision for church, but we don't get up and shout about it because it sounds cool, but we put it in context. We put it in context. I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, at least I know it's true for me, maybe it's true for you, that we all know that the biggest problem with God's great plan for our lives is us. God's got a great plan. The problem is it involves us, right? Like, you know, you're just you. I know I'm just me. We're just us. We're Special promise, not a special guy. We're all our own biggest critics, right? 
We can hear the promise of God. We can come to church on Sunday. We can read the Bible. We can believe that God wants to do amazing things. But I've just got my life, you know? Like, that's cool that God wants to do all these things, but I've just got, I've got my life. Like, I've got my day-to-day, and uh, most of the time doesn't seem that exciting, doesn't seem that special, seems pretty average, like on a good day, I think pretty average day-to-day, right? I've got my wife, and we're, we're trying to have a good marriage. I've got my kids. We're trying to figure out how to be parents. I'm trying to work out how to be a good dad, just kind of trying to take that a day at a time, and I've got my job, and I'm trying to figure out most days, just sort of looking around, hoping I'm not screwing anything up too bad, and like hopefully, you know, like at the end of the day, like I get pretty tired, you know, like I'm tired at the most of, at the end of most days, and if things are really clicking, I generally look back and say, that was about a B, (laughs) right? I mean, anybody? That's kind of great that God wants to do all these great big things, but I'm kind of spending all my time and energy trying to work out this little life I have, and it's kind of wearing me out already, and I'm just me. In Isaiah 54, God in his love and in his grace and in his power, he speaks right to that place in us, right to that place in us, because when we read Isaiah 54, we relate a lot more with the barren woman than with God's great plan. And God in Isaiah 54, that's exactly who he's talking to. He knows how you feel. He knows what you see and what you don't see in you. And in Isaiah 54, he figured, I'll step in and speak right to that barren woman in you. I want to speak to her this morning. He says, to the barren woman in you, the barren woman in all of us, stretch out, stretch out, expand, fear not. Sounds easy. Not always. Fear not, I'm going to do a mighty thing that you couldn't even imagine if I told you exactly what it was going to look like. So do not hold back. Do not hold back. Let's go to Mark 8. Can you flip? Got it, got it. Bookmarked. We'll go to Mark chapter 8. We're going to read a couple of verses in Mark chapter 8 too. We're going to read a story of Jesus having a conversation with his disciples. And in this conversation... Uh, he references a couple other Bible stories that you're probably familiar with. They have kind of an interesting conversation, and I think that Jesus and what he's getting at in his disciples in Mark chapter 8 is exactly what God is trying to get at with his people in Isaiah 54. Because the Bible works that way. It's all God, so it works together, right? Which is so cool. So, oh my Anybody get really OCD about your pages folding? Only, (laughs) I know, my wife doesn't. Only in my Bible. Okay, uh, Mark chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 14. If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. Mark chapter 8, 14. Now, they had uh, forgotten to bring bread, speaking of the disciples. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? 
Do you not remember when I, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? Anybody sound familiar? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces, broken pieces, did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000. Sound familiar? Okay. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? Jesus has a way of making points with questions. That's what he's doing. Do you not yet understand? In verses 14 and 16 of this conversation, this scenario that we read about, about Jesus with his disciples, I think that we're in a familiar place The disciples are in a place that we've just talked about. They're in the place of the barren woman in ways, right? They have no bread. They're in a place of lack. They don't have what they need. Just like in Isaiah 54. They need to eat, but between however many of them are on this boat, they've got one loaf of bread, which I don't know how many there are, but I would figure with Mediterranean men, one loaf of bread is not going real far. There's not enough bread. In Isaiah 54, God is speaking to a barren woman about kids. But like we said, he's talking to a barren woman about kids, but he's not really talking to a barren woman about kids, right? He's not actually talking to her about kids. It's prophetic. It's metaphorical. The the barren woman is really the people of God, like we said. And the kids that he's talking about, they're not actually kids, but they are actually kids because he's talking about like his children, which is us, which we're not kids, but we kind of are kids because we're his kids. And he's not talking to a physical woman about physical kids, but he is talking about kids. This is the prophetic language of Isaiah, right? So, God's making a point. He's saying some different things. He's talking to this barren woman, but not talking to a barren woman. It's about kids, but it's not about kids. In Mark chapter 8, similarly, he's talking to some guys who don't have enough bread. But he isn't talking to them about not having enough bread. But he is absolutely talking to them about not having enough bread. He's talking about bread, but he's not talking about bread. If we're going to be a church like home and the people who are the dwelling place of God, on the earth, which is what his desire is for you and for us, then I think that God's getting at something here in Isaiah 54 and in Mark chapter 8. I think that God wants to get something into the family, the the fabric of his family, into the DNA of his children, and that is the expectation of expansion. God wants us to have an expectation of expansion in our life, and I believe that individually and corporately as the people of God. That God's kingdom is a kingdom that multiplies, it expands, it grows, it goes out, it gets bigger. And that's what God wants us to expect in our life. He wants his kids to have an expectation of expansion. And we have to learn to expect that God is going to and is always doing the impossible. It just has to become part of who we are. There's a little revelation that I think that we all need. I know I need it a little bit deeper every day. And I think that if we bought into this and sold out to it 24-7, it would freak us all out. And I don't even think we'd be able to handle what would happen. And the little revelation is three words. It's just this. God is working. Here, now, in this, yes. What about that? Yep, don't get it. I don't either. But God is working. We need a revelation that God is working. Right here, right now, all the way, always, God is working. 
This is why we can do what the Bible says when the Bible says things like, be thankful in everything. You read that, you're like, well, I don't want to be thankful in everything. Heck, I don't want to be thankful in most things. (laughs) Be thankful in everything. There's a reason we can be thankful in everything. God's not just saying, hey, I know you can't do this and this makes no sense, but just do it anyways because I'm God and I like making you jump through hoops because I'm bored. He says, be thankful in everything because we can be thankful in everything because God is working. God is always working. God is always working for you. Thank you, God, that no matter what you've called me to, you've called me from my mother's womb. You named my name. You called me from the foundations of the earth. You chose me. Nothing can separate me from your love. Thank you, God. God is always working, not just for you, but God is always working through you. Thank you, God, that you've anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, and oil of gladness instead of mourning. Thank you, God, that you've made me a new creation so that I can be the light of the world, that I can be the salt of the earth. Thank you that you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, so that I can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, so that everybody else can see Jesus. God's always working for you. He's always working through you, and he's always working his purposes. I'm not saying it makes sense. I'm just saying it's true. God's always working for his purposes. Thank you, God, that even if what I'm in the middle of is evil, you can use it for good. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that in the end of all of this, your name is the name above every name. Thank you that no matter what I'm in, no matter what I'm seeing, no matter what's going on in the earth right now, in the end, every knee bows, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that your glory will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Thank you, God, that before your throne will be represented from every tribe, nation, and tongue saying holy, holy, holy for all of eternity. I don't get it, but God is working. God is working. God is present. God is speaking. And God is working. So they're in a boat. Say, I'm in a boat. They're in a boat, and uh, they notice they've got one loaf of bread. No peanut butter, no jelly. One loaf of bread, and Jesus says to them, hey, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they say, okay. And so they start talking about having one loaf of bread again, because that made no sense. (laughs) They start talking about how they don't have enough bread, and then Jesus turns to them and asks them, hey, are your hearts hard? Like, if I'm there, I'm looking around, like, how did we just jump from talking about the fact that we just have one loaf of bread, and now Jesus is asking us if my heart is hard, and if I have eyes that don't work and ears that don't work, like, what? It's like, my eyes are fine, my ears are fine, but my stomach is hungry. That's all I know. So that's what we're talking about. Jesus is trying to capitalize on this moment. Because he hears his disciples having this conversation. Isaiah 54, he sees where his people are at. He's trying to capitalize on a moment in the natural to teach us something spiritual. Because one thing that people call Jesus all the time, if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that people called him teacher a lot. They called him teacher a lot because he was teaching us. God is a God who comes close. God is a God who, who comes into our life and doesn't just stay far off, but he steps in and he teaches us. He is a teacher, and he's noticing that his pupils in the boat are talking about something in a way that he didn't teach them to talk about it. They're operating in a way that he didn't teach them to operate. And so like a good teacher, he steps in 
to straighten things out a little bit. Verse 19, he starts talking to them in the middle of their conversation. We have no bread. Be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. And, okay, thank you. We still have no bread. Okay, but I have some questions for you guys. Verse 19, hey, do you guys remember that time where we didn't have enough bread and we needed to feed 5,000 people? Yeah. What happened? Well, you took what we did have and somehow you fed everybody and then we had a bunch left over. How much left over do we have? Like 12 baskets. That was crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. Cool, cool, cool. Do you guys remember that time where we didn't have enough bread and we needed to feed 4,000 people? Like, yeah. Like, what happened? Like, well, it was so weird. You took what we did have and you somehow fed everybody with it. And we had all this stuff left over still, like more than we had at the beginning. He's like, okay, how many, how many baskets did you have left over then? Seven. That was crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. And he, just, he says, get it? You get it? Barren woman, populate nations. Five loaves and two fish. Feed 5,000. Seven loaves. Feed 4,000. Get it? You get it? See, so much of our perspective is shaped by the home that we grew up in. So much of our perspective on the world that we live in is from the home that we grew up in. When it comes to walking into the abundance of the kingdom of God, when it comes to walking free from fear about not having enough for what God's promised to do, the key to being a people who do not hold back is not a change of circumstances and it's not a change of provision it's a change of perspective it's a change of perspective the barren woman had two things she had no kids but she did have two things she had a problem and now she has a promise and in each situation that Jesus references to his disciples in Mark chapter 8 there's two things present they've got a problem And in Jesus, they have a promise. See, when God brings you to a place where he wants to expand you, where he wants to multiply things, where he wants to grow, where he wants to increase, when he calls his home to expand, you're always going to have two things. God is going to bring you a promise. Graphic. God's going to bring you a promise. Life going to bring you a problem. And you need to choose your perspective. You need to choose your perspective by which you will determine what is possible. Because God's given you a promise. Life's given you a problem. You got to choose the perspective by which you will decide to determine what is possible. Jesus says to them, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What's the leaven of Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, and what does it have to do with not having enough bread in a boat? Jesus tells us in his word that he is the bread of life, and he also would compare his own kingdom to leaven. He doesn't just compare the Pharisees or Herod to leaven. There's A passage that's also really important for us as a church where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like leaven. And uh, when a woman just takes a little bit of it and works it through the whole loaf, the whole thing rises up. So 
So Jesus uses this leaven illustration for different things at different times. And Jesus, as a good teacher, Jesus, as the bread of life, Jesus, as the promise, he's trying to work kingdom leaven into the dough of his disciples, right? We've already talked about, you know, he's a teacher and he has his pupils, and now he's trying to work leaven into the dough. Trying to work leaven into the dough of their lives. But when they start talking about not having enough bread, he tastes leaven that's not from his kingdom. He tastes leaven that's not from his kingdom, so he's got to get to work because he's trying to make kingdom loaves. Too far on the metaphor? Or are we gonna... See, the leaven of the Pharisees is the perspective of religion. The leaven of the Pharisees is the perspective of religion. The leaven of Herod is the perspective of culture. The leaven of the Pharisees is the perspective of religion. The leaven of Herod is the perspective of culture. How you see the world, how you see yourself, how you see life, how you see God, these are the perspectives that Jesus is referencing. And both of these perspectives, Pharisees and Herod, religion and culture, they're centered around your problems. Both of these perspectives revolve around problems. See, religion tells you that you'll never be enough. That's your problem. You'll never be enough. That's the center of the work hard, get better, be a better person, try to outdo your bad with good. Here, it's centered around the problem. We've got a problem, so let's fix it, right? Like it's centered around your problem. You can never be enough. The perspective of religion, the perspective of culture is centered around you can never have enough. So we got to fix this problem because that's our problem. We can't ever have enough. We can't be enough. We can't have enough. But then when you're given a promise of expansion that requires you to give what you do have, if you have the perspective of culture, if you're keeping this perspective of religion, you will hold back. When God gives you a promise that requires of you what you do have, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod, the perspective of religion, the perspective of culture, it will make you hold back. It'll make you hold back what you do have. It'll make you hold back what you do have because of what you don't have, right? I don't have that, so I got to hold on to this. But the truth is, is that holding back, holding back because of what you don't have will keep you from what you can have if you'll give what you do have. If you hold back because of what you don't have, it'll keep you from what you can have if you'll give what you do have. We've got to choose your perspective. Either your perspective is from the problem or your perspective is from the promise. We've got to choose the, the perspective. Either your promise that God's giving you has a problem or your problem has a promise. You pick. Pick your leaven. Pick your leaven. And just to make sure that we don't compartmentalize this into spiritual stuff that only matters at church on Sundays, can you imagine, can you imagine how some of the conversations, debates, divisions, dissensions, and roadblocks in our, nature, in our nation right now would shift if we got unified in prioritizing the perspective of God's promise instead of the perspective of the problem? If we just stopped centralizing everything around the problem and we got centered around the promise, 
What if we shifted our perspective? What are the things we could get past? This isn't just for church on Sunday and your time with God in the morning. Like, this matters, man. Like, that's why Jesus is talking to their bread. He's not talking about their bread, but it matters for their bread. The world, of pe- the world and, and people outside of these walls right now, they, they would use slightly different language for what we're talking about. They would use a different word than promise, probably. The word that they would be using is opportunity. So as you're, as you're listening to conversations, as you're talking with people, as you're watching the news, if you hear somebody talking about opportunity, that's God trying to get his promise out there. Because that's why there is opportunity in the first place just because of the promise of God. See, positivity that pretends problems aren't real doesn't lead to any empathy, and it actually doesn't lead to any change. Just being positive. Like, let's, let's just be positive. Like, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a problem. It's okay. We can get past it. Like, that, that positive thought doesn't help you empathize with anybody because it's not that bad, so what do we have to empathize about? It doesn't lead to any change because you don't actually engage anything because it's not really a problem. We can't just think positively and expect some change, expect to love people well just because we're being positive. The promise of potential is what will draw you to love people. The promise of potential is what will draw the strong to help the weak. The promise of potential is what will birth hope in a downcast and broken world. We don't just need positivity. We don't need to center around problems. We need the promise of God. We need the perspective of the promise. And it's up to us to choose because Jesus says, be careful. Be careful, because these other perspectives, they work in like leaven. And just a little bit starts working through the whole thing. See, what we're looking for in our lives, what the world is looking for, what you're looking for, what your friends, what, what your neighbors, what the people on TV, what the people marching, what the people crying about, what everybody's looking for is not political policy. It's not rooted. The solution is not rooted in political policy or who we're it's rooted in the Prince of Peace. This is, who we, this is who we need. This is who we're looking for, right? See, the disciples are discussing the lack of bread to eat in the basket. They're looking at the basket. They're talking about the lack of bread in the basket. And Jesus is trying to lift their perspective to see the bread of life in the boat. The barren woman He tells her, I know you don't have kids, but your husband is the maker of life. You're you're looking at your womb, and I need you to look at your husband. I need you to shift your perspective. I'm not saying the problem doesn't exist. I'm just saying I need you to shift your perspective. Stop looking at the basket. Stop staring at your womb. Look up. Shift your perspective. And as a nation, we could just kind of keep going. It's relevant, I promise. Like, we all just keep wanting to talk about the president, and it's like, as a church, we've forgotten that our father is the king. Can we remember, please? Yeah. At least in the church, can we please? <laughs> Look up. Because we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this. The world needs the leaven of the kingdom of God. We don't need to pretend that there aren't big problems in life. We just need to believe that there are bigger promises. Let's just say that again until we're all jumping up and down, right? Like, we, need to, we, don't stop, we don't need to pretend like the problems aren't real. There's real problems. They're really big. They're really bad. But the promises are bigger. Right. 
The promises of God are bigger. And God is just waiting for some people to look up. To look up. To look up and believe. Look up and believe. See, so many times when God gives us a promise, our first reason for why it won't happen is because we don't have enough. We don't have enough to fulfill the promise. I think we need to wake up and realize, like, isn't that the point? (laughs) I remember God gave me this crazy revelation one day. He said, Andrew, faith takes faith. It's like, ah. Like, I don't want faith to take faith. I want to know that, like, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So now I want to see it, and I want to stop hoping for it, and I want to see it. But faith takes faith. And isn't that the point of the promise? That God wants to do more? That God's ready to do more? That God wants to step in and do the impossible? That he's bigger than the problem? So, of course... We have a problem because we need something bigger than our problem, so we need a promise. We get so distracted by it, we don't have enough to fulfill the promise, but I think that's the whole point. Like one of my mentors, he says it like this. He says, you know, everybody wants a miracle, but nobody needs to, wants to be in a place to need one. So that's the fact. I love miracles. I hate needing them. See, feeding the 5,000 is nothing compared to what God wants to do in and through your life and in and through his church. Feeding the 4,000 with seven loaves of fish, nothing compared to what God wants to do in and through your life and in and through his church. Don't miss out on what only God can do because you're holding back what only you can give. Don't hold back. See, God knows that you don't have 5,000 loaves of bread and 2,000 fish. Jesus was not surprised by this revelation when they came to him about the 5,000. His one question was, what do you have? Give him what you have. Give him what you have. And the the truth about the whole feeding of the 5,000, it correlates also to the feeding of the 4,000 and everything else, is that Jesus's bread multiplication capacity was not capped out at 4,995 loaves. So it's a really good thing they had those extra five loaves. Otherwise, we would have been five short. Come on now. Come on. Come on. He could make all 5,000 good and well by his own self. But he loves you. And he really likes you. God loves you a lot. And he really, really likes you. And he's inviting you to be a part of all this crazy stuff that he wants to do in the world. He's inviting you to be part of it. He wants to work in and through your life to do the things that he could well do by himself. But he's inviting you into it. And he isn't asking you to do what you can't do. He's not asking you to do what only he can do. All he's asking is that you do what only you can do. Only you can give the five loaves and the two fish when you have it. Only you can give the faith in the hard situation. So don't worry about what you can't give. Worry about what you can I think there's this freedom. I remember talking to, we used to go on vacation to this cowboy place in the mountains of Colorado. It was so awesome. We'd like ride horses in the mountains and stuff. It felt so cool. I thought I was awesome. I remember talking to the the head of the ranch one time. We were on this ride, and he's like bona fide cowboy. Grew up, you know, doing the thing. And he's like, so cool. So, and his name's Tony. Yeah, Tony the cowboy. 
And uh, I was asking him about some stuff, and they had kind of gone through some hard times financially as this vacation ranch. And he said what, he said what anybody could say, but it only really lands when a cowboy says it. You know, he's like, I was like, so how'd you, like, how'd you navigate all these different things? He loves Jesus. And I was like, you know, how, how'd you navigate those different challenges? He just said, you know, along the way, I just learned I need to worry about what I do have and let God worry about what I don't. That sounds about right. That horseback theology gets you. It'll get you. God's not asking you to do what you can't do. He's just asking you to do what you can. He just wants you to do what you can. And he knows something that we also need to know, that the reality is that what we have isn't enough anyways, even if we keep it for ourselves. Like five loaves and two fish for 5,000. Like, as if we just been like held on to that. Like, I wasn't going to go far anyways. Seven loaves for 4,000, one loaf for a boat full of men, a barren woman in a big house. Like, what, what's that all about? But we need to know that when God is asking something of you, he's not trying to take from you. He's trying to provide for you. And when you hold back from what God is calling you to, you're not holding back loaves of bread. You're not holding back fish. You're not holding back money or time or energy or effort. Like you, you, God can take care of all of those things, good and well, by himself, just like he could all 5,000. When you hold back, you hold you back. That was kind of the point of the whole thing, so it seemed to land not, not as much as everything else. but <laughs> Great fun in church. But it's true. We got to know. See, sometimes we hold back because we're trying to protect ourselves. Because I, need, I can't give what I do have because it's not enough. And God knows it's not enough. And when you hold back, you hold you back. He can take care of what he's asking from you all by, by, by himself, but he can't bring you in without you bringing you in. You got to do you. And he's inviting you in. This is who our God is. What could God do with a church that doesn't hold back? What could God do? What could God do with a church who gives its faith in the midst of cancer diagnosis? What could God do in a church full of people who, who give their celebration and joy for other people's babies when they're waiting on their own? What could God do with a church who gives to and believes for a building that's like four plus times too big than it can fill, but they do it anyways? What could God do with some people like that? What could God do with a church full of people who give what they do have to their marriages, to their kids, to their workplaces, to their neighbors, to their friends, to their families, instead of getting caught up in what they don't have? It may not be much, but they give what they do have. And they believe God to make up the rest. What could God do with a church full of people that live their lives looking at what God is promising? Look at what God is speaking. They choose not to fear. They recognize that what they have isn't enough but they believe that it'll do. What could God do with a church full of people that lived by the, the motto, we'll call it, I don't have much, but it'll do. I don't have much, but it'll do. What could God do with a church that does, does not hold back? I think we should pray. Go ahead and stand up. We're going to, sing one more song together. And as we sing this song, I want to just leave these minutes that we have left together to let 
all of us respond in a way that we need to respond because we uh, love to hear the word of God around here, amen? And we love to do the word of God because we believe that it's good to do the word of God. It builds our life on the rock, on a firm foundation. And so if we're gonna be a church that does not hold back, the question is this morning, is there anything holding you back? Is there anything holding you back? Not, not in the like finger pointing, heavy handed way, but in the freedom way. In the like, your chains can break off kind of way. Is there anything holding you back? Is there anything holding you back from something that God's put in front of you? Something that God has called you to, an opportunity that's in your life, a relationship in your life, something in your life. You, you know, right? Like I could come up with hypotheticals, but you know. Is there anything holding you back this morning? Is there anything that you've been holding on to because you're scared? You're scared of what might happen or might, what might not happen. You need to believe this morning. You don't have to fear because you will not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame. You just need to change your perspective. Maybe you're here this morning with something holding you back. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, no, I think I'm doing pretty well. But we can still take this moment and say, God, I want to keep giving. I want to keep continuing to not hold back. I want to believe in what you could do in a church like home, a people like family who don't hold back. What could God do, huh? What could God do? What could God do with you? What could God do through? What could God do in this church and through this church? What could God do in Indianapolis? What could God do on the planet with a people who don't hold back? I'm gonna pray for us as we sing this song about Jesus because he is the bread of life. We're gonna sing this song about Jesus because he is the bread of life. And you can bring your need for bread to Jesus anytime, all the time. And there's always enough. There's always enough. So let's bow our head and close our eyes and just before we sing this morning, if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus and, and you've been held back from the life that God's called you to because you've never given your life to him and had your sins forgiven and been made new and you wanna give your life to Jesus, I, I want you to make that decision right now in your heart if you want freedom. And we're gonna have people over to the side like we do every week for anybody who wants prayer for anything at all. And if you're here this morning and you want to choose to give your life to Jesus, please don't leave without talking to somebody. Don't leave without talking to somebody. You don't have to have the answers. That's the whole point. This is the gospel, that your life is not enough. But if you give it to him, it'll do because his grace is sufficient. I'm gonna pray for all of us as we worship and respond this morning. Lord, we love you and we welcome your Holy Spirit. Even into these final moments together, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you move us, God? Move us to not hold back. Pray that you'd give us a revelation of your freedom this morning. Lord, I ask for anybody who here who, who has never taken the leap of giving their life to you, Lord, I pray that they would not fear, know that they would not be put to shame, and that they would not, and they would not hold back, and they would just trust you with their life. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would live our lives trusting you, thanking you for what we do have, and always being faithful to just give it and believe that you can do a mighty thing with it. So God, this morning as we sing your name, we choose to believe in a church like home that doesn't hold back. And teach us, God, how to be part of it every step of the way. In Jesus' name.